0: Secrets of a Dance Hit with Ritney. Hey, I'm Ridney presenter of Secrets of a Dance Hit. I've been a producer for 20 years, a DJ for 23 years... Cafe Mambo, Ibiza resident and three times winner of the prestigious Essential New Tune Award on Pete Tong's BBC Radio One Essential Selection. I've had music on labels including Defected, Tool Room, Ministry of Sound, Nervous, Size, Spinning. To name but a few and what is secrets of a dance here i'm having a look and a listen to some of my favorite records from my favorite producers records that have been underground bangers which have gone on to be huge global hits join me as i lift the lid on sample clearance how records were put together and what producers thought of these records join me for secrets of a dance here Welcome, welcome, another episode of the podcast, this one, the Brighton Music Conference Build-Up. We are here this week in Brighton, Uh, if you're in the area, come and say hi. Uh, This week's guest, live and direct from Spain, someone whose career has spanned 20 years and had so many underground club hits and four crossover chart hits. We are talking, of course, of Aiden, known to his friends as ATFC. Secrets of a dance hit with Ridney. Mr. ATFC, live and direct from Spain. How
1: are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you, Ridney. I'm very good, yeah. Although I'm actually sitting in a bit of a bombsite at the moment. Um, otherwise, I'm, 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 I'm very good. I yeah. could be worse places than sitting on the Costa Blanca, I suppose.
0: Absolutely. Very, very lucky man indeed. So today, we can take our pick, really. I was going to go for in and out My Life, but looking at the stats, that the hits you've obviously had, in and out My Life, Bad Habit, uh, sleep talk and as we just found out looking at the official charts company more shots from the hip as well can we start with In and Out My Life are you happy with that? Yeah, go for it my uh, remembrance of this particular track was going to London to a record shop called Uptown Records which I later found out you were working in as well and there was a white label that just had ATFC in black marker black sharpie. i
1: probably printed from my home printer and stuck on
0: with Love it, yeah. absolutely love it and Paul Farris at the time just said you're going to love this so picked it up no problem back to Southampton that Saturday night and as with all of these big records everyone wants a copy of you after you've played it 20 quid back to London get another one and (laughs) repeat until none left at Uptown Records but again from that tuning into Radio 1 on a Friday night and it was just so huge around sort of 99, 2000. Is that sort of the right time?
1: Yeah, we got the essential new tune um, on Pete Tong and I remember listening to that live and getting the tip off that it was going to be the case and really, you know, just still working in the record shop and having you know, um, made a couple of records previously and then taken the plunge to, to press up a few of my own record, which of course back then was a fairly massive financial investment but i was in a good position you know i was in a lucky the very very lucky position to be behind a record shop uh, counter so I, I could push this stuff but after a while we realized because a lot of the guys in the record shop would sell their own records for sure um but there was a, there was a very t- there was a tipping point where we thought you know that actually this record doesn't really need selling and um it it's not just because i'm working here as you've just explained um you didn't even know i was working there no, later found out that. Yeah, and we so I sort of did ten thousand, and then I wow. got another order for another five thousand or something like this, and then and then I went on holiday to Mallorca with my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife I think I dropped in to see Defected who were at the on the same street at the time down in Dublin mm, Street yeah. and um, they'd shown interest and it just all kicked off in this bizarre sort of tornado of interest within about sort of two or three weeks and then Pete Tong made it Essential New Tune and before I knew it I, I had to stop printing them <laughs> or pressing them and um, that was it the, the, uh, the lockdown was on and they were fairly con- you know convinced it was going to be a hit and I had no idea how, the, how it would all happened because basically I'd you know I'd, I'd made it on an Atari ST10
0: right that was the, that was the question that people always want to know is you know, what kit were you using to do it? How, how did it kind of come about? Because obviously in and out of My Life being a bit, a kind of mashup, mash-up, really, you know, and without, without really. being too mean, no, 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 you know, absolutely. two two big samples and then obviously your production skills on top. Um, you know, how were you doing it?
1: Um, it was really just, I, I used to listen to Fatboy Slim's new album, what was the name of the album? I can't remember. But whatever that album, what the uh, strings from Right Here, Right Now were on, mm and I used to walk to the record shop from over Waterloo Bridge, from getting off at Waterloo and um, into Soho and that string loop just m- nagged at me and I thought, oh, this would be great if it was put to a 4-4-B. Anyway, I um, while this was while I was working at the shop, I had a tiny little s- small studio in my in my sort of sort of upstairs room, and um, was using an Atari ST 1040 and a DAT player and a couple of decks. Basically, that was it. It was literally just a, some beats, some very bare beats. We researched what who who Fatboy Slim sampled. The idea being to use it in a different way but as it turned out and he sampled a band called the james gang and those strings are from the very end of a james gang record and and we intended well i say we it was just this this guy that was engineering for me at the time because i wasn't good enough for engineering but i was telling him what to do but we wanted to use it in an in, um an intelligent way an individual way but as it turned out Norman Kirk had used it so intelligently, so well we couldn't figure out a better way to do it. So in the end I just thought, you know what? I didn't actually intend to use it in the same way that he's done because he's layered those strings in such a way that you can't credit anyone else but him and the way he sampled that record. So I think that's the unfair
0: thing. Then is you just think it's a straight lift, and it's not. There's actually been quite a lot that's gone into.
1: If he, he hadn't put so much creativity into his 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 sampling of the James Gang, we could have gone to the James Gang and just licensed it off them. But actually, yeah. the way he the way those melodies work of the strings um, is all down to him. So anyway, I I I ended up sampling it straight off. Um, um, his album off the right here, right now. Literally pressing play on the turntable with an older diva a cappella on Easy Street Records, and getting it in time on the vinyl and recording it straight onto DAT. So it was, it was a Atari ST ten forty playing the backing track, and then her a cappella off a turntable.
0: Wow! So proper DJ style then, as if you were doing it live. Yeah,
1: live onto DAT. That, that was it.
0: That's very cool. I didn't know that was a thing. That that makes it even cooler, I think.
1: Well, I mean, we, we did actually go to uh, big studios at, uh, um, where was it, Metropolis in Chiswick yeah. or wherever. But actually, we ended up using the original demo. Which is often the case, you know. You well, you can often lose the magic of the original demo if you try to take things into these big studios as as best as you um, can re-engineer things. It doesn't quite get that magic back. So I think we ended up using the original demo. Yeah, it was it was really. Good. It was really as simple as that, you know, just an Atari 1040, uh Akai S, whatever it is, thousand sampler and um, a pair of decks.
0: How long do you reckon it took you to do it?
1: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the idea was done within a day. Um, but, um yeah probably in total probably about a week and awesome. it was just a bootleg as simple as that just a bootleg i mean i mean i'm, you know, I'm not going to big it up any more than it actually is it's just simply a, a mashup of two different records but at the time it was it was just um, I suppose mashups were kind of in their infancy to a certain extent and um, and certainly a mashup between genres, so you're taking a fat boy slim record and then putting like an, an early garage record over the top of it was I suppose quite individual, that's where it hit home.
0: Yeah and it had a really sort of distinctive house sound which I, I suppose what I want to say is it sounded very US you know it was, if you have a nod to kind of sulfuric and subliminal and all those, it fitted really well in those DJ sets.
1: Yeah, and yet you had the uh, the UK, the kind of blue-eyed fan base of Fatboy Slim connecting with it with that string sample. Yeah, it just sort of um, connected a few dots together, I suppose. Yeah.
0: So did you, in this early stage of like 15,000 that you'd pressed, did did you kind of get any heat or was anybody trying to find you to who is this guy with this, with this record with uh, samples that were we haven't had clear yet
1: yeah uh, for sure i mean we we did have being in the record shop where i was in soho i mean we did get a, a lot of interest but my my main focus i suppose was down the road at defected the new mm. the newly um the newly named defected because yeah I mean, um they'd only just had sulfuric. i think in and out of my life might have been like second or third hit on the label
0: I was going to say it's super early Soul Searcher was the first release right so yeah you must have been two or three I guess
1: I have been the second or third and um, you know being so close and being friends with all the guys there and this was prior to the days where bulls were really hunting down and paying for m- paying massive money for records like this. Mm. They were still kind of bewildered by all this kind of like UK house music that was coming through. So, people like Defected were our only port of call and it was the only obvious port of call So, and, and being like literally five doors down uh, that was my first and only choice and they, they, they took it and that was it Fantastic
0: and it, and it was sorted out I guess all the samples quite quickly and then was able to go on and, and do its thing so to speak
1: It was a strange day when I was working anyone that's been into Uptown Records will know that you have to go down some stairs down yeah. to the basement to to come to the house section because the R&B and, and uh and uh, hip-hop sections upstairs. Yeah. And one day, having sold about, whatever, 15,000 of these white labels, and I, I might have just signed it to Defected anyway, these big legs came stomping down these metal stairs into the basement, and it turned out to be a diva. She'd come all no. the way Atlantic and said, where's this little guy who sampled my vocals? Where is he? And she was she was playing the big disgruntled diva but actually she was cool i mean she was just trying to wind me up she was she was taking me outside take me outside and, and stomp all over me but um as it happened she was she was quite happy to be involved she'd come across the atlantic and she'd heard that this little guy from uptown records had sampled their vocals and um we got on like a house on fire she was great.
0: Amazing! I love that. I love the fact that she she came and found you, wanted to know about it. Well, I
1: had no idea. I, it was it, I absolutely crapped myself, to be honest. I bet.
0: I bet you were like, oh my god.
1: She, she came down in these big six inches or whatever they are, came down the metal steps, and she goes, "Where's this guy from, from this tired white boy, the sample man?" You know, and I was like. You know, little did I know she'd already gone to see Defected, and who'd, who'd kind of calmed her down about me sampling her record. Uh, uh, yeah, that was all good.
0: Were you surprised with with the reaction and how well it did, and and the fact that it was just so huge on radio and 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 a massive club record? Did you think, yeah, when you did it, this has got legs? Or I guess the fifteen thousand going through the shop gave you an indication that you know it's a big record, right? <sighs>
1: yeah, I mean, I I really it was I suppose from then on the rest of my kind of a lot of my career has been a bit of a whirlwind, you know? I mean, it's it was a shock, and I was only doing something by instinct back then, and yeah. never really did it, because I knew I was going to make a hit, or try to make a hit, or whatever, but I, I just went on instinct back then, and then, yeah, I mean, to find yourself, bear in mind you're working in a record shop, mm. and uh, to find yourself on Top of the Pops, which is arguably the biggest music TV show in the world at the time, it is... Um, it's kind of like bewildering really Um, I'll bet uh, uh, yeah I, I, I wish I'd have kind of made more of it but I suppose it was just, you know, one of them things. You, I'd, I wish I'd have soaked more in, do you know what I mean? We went to various places, whether it's the MTV Awards in Dublin, we had time there, we went to go and to, to the um, Pepsi Chart show, we, we, we did the, the Top of the Pops, we did various other PAs and this, that and the other, and you just kind of go along with it as, a, as this young, fresh, fresh-faced producer thinking, oh, <laughs> well. Yeah, I'll well, do uh, it. And, um, you, you try and blag it, basically. You think, well, oh, I'm on a blag, that's it. <laughs> I'll <just grab> the, <laughs> right <laughs> the wave as long as I can. Because, you know, yeah. you, you don't have any plan. I mean, I certainly didn't have a plan for a second single. Um, I know a lot of, I, I think, you know, a lot of well-schooled producers would would have been back in the studio making something that sounded exactly the same. Um, but I like to think Bad Habit probably was nothing like in and out of My Life. So, that, I mean, that's...
0: I think you say what a lot of people have said to me, which is, you know, you don't know you're going to have a hit it kind of
1: happens and then you think blimey yeah absolutely and you don't and and then suddenly you're scrabbling scrabbling around for a lawyer you're scrabbling around for advice you're scrabbling Mm. around for this that and the other and you know all of it's good it's a great great feeling don't get me wrong and I I remember being in Mallorca with my Mm. my wife girlfriend at the time but and we were just looking over this these figures thinking this is more money than we've ever thought of it lies before, and suddenly we're yeah. being offered this for something that I made yeah. upstairs in the bedroom, and people are scrambling. People are like, you know, calling us for it, and well, there was no question at the time. Like I say, it was always going to be Defected's record, uh, but yeah, it was a it was <clears> a mad time. It was a mad time, especially as you still work in the record shop, and I was, you know, I, I still wasn't con- convinced of my own production capability to be able to leave the record shop so I wanted you know it it was okay well this is this one done let's stay at the record shop and see what happens
0: absolutely I understand that for sure the question that I feel that people are going to want to ask and I'm going to ask it is what kind of time frame between you sitting in the studio and doing it and being on top of the pops how quick was that
1: well I suppose it was probably let's say Six months finishing it in the studio, and then maybe a, a month turnaround on on pressing and stuff like that, and then getting out. Because of course I didn't want to hang about. I don't want to. I don't want to sit on something. So you, you, I'd, I'd have made it. I'd have. It might be out available a month later, and then we were selling it. Okay, it might be that might be a bit quick, but it might be my like eight to eight to twelve months let's say
0: but just think that's an unbelievably short time frame to say to you know if somebody had tapped you on the shoulder and said eight nine months time you'll be on the biggest music TV show in the UK at that time you'd be like yeah come on
1: and this goes back to me explaining how sort of Uh, bowled over you are by sort of things that are happening and of course I was well aware of course that I had to do a job in the record shop and uh, that might seem a small thing but you know when I was working in Uptown Records there were guys that had records big records and and we were aware that they might take time out and we would moan about them and say oh come on come on you've got you still you're still being paid to work in the record shop. I was well aware that I couldn't be on my phone every day, all day, because um, I still had a job to do. And um, so there was this this real sort of dilemma where you're getting pulled by this this big industry that that is dragging you out to talk to you or to sign things or to get deals done, and you still have to serve records to the public. And... Um, and that was a—I do remember that being a bit of a, a pull, actually, because I, I would constantly run down to, and apologise to Paul Farris, who was the manager, um, or whoever was covering for me at the time, thinking, oh sorry guys sorry I've just got to deal with this and deal with it, but what can you do
0: did that ultimately mean I mean I, I don't know when you when you left the shop but did, I'm I'm assuming that ultimately you had to say guys I'm ever so sorry I can't do
1: it anymore well now yeah I mean after bad habit which went it, it, it arguably even crazier because even though it wasn't um, on paper as big a hit chart UK chart wise um... I think throughout the DJ community it was a bigger hit and um, for sure I was getting dragged further away from the record shop and yeah. it just wasn't fair to them and you know, I was able to to start a life outside the record shop and I I'd, I'd, you, absolutely use it as a springboard for myself and hopefully um you know I did my time at the shop and that was it so yeah it was after bad habit yeah so
0: Following on from in and out and it, it's been a huge success, was there a, a tap from Defected to say, come on, we need something else, or did you feel, look, I want to get straight back in the studio, do some more stuff, and, you know, was Bad Habit the next thing that you did, or was there other stuff and Bad Habit was the thing you preferred? or
1: Actually, if you listen to um, Soul Searcher, to um, in and out of my life, they they wouldn't. I don't think sound like they're from the same label. So I think that Defected was still finding their own feet, and um, certainly I was. So there there was no sort of prerequisite. To, uh, to what I should deliver next, they—I mean Simon—particularly is just very good at sniffing out a hit. So yes. he got he got Soul Searcher first, maybe In and Out My Life second or third or whatever. Um, no, there wasn't really the demand on me to come up with a In and Out of My Life part two, because mm. I don't I don't think that they were particularly a label for In and Out My Life part one in the first place. It's just that yeah, that happens. <laughs> Um, it it, it was something they dug and well for for sure the Adiva vocal helped being an old school garage hit but um, I don't I, no there was no um, there was no real demands on me and I don't remember feeling any I was far too young and sort of naive at that point I suppose to really mm. recognise the importance of trying to follow something up I, I, was, yeah. I was far too bowled over by the fact that I'd had a hit in the first place and I, I was still very stunned by the whole affair I, I was just like well I'm just going to go back and make some more music I suppose yeah yeah, um, yeah, And had I been more experienced, I may never have made Bad Habit. You know, I might have tried to, to copy in and out my life and um, either succeed or failed. But I, I don't mm. think I would have made Bad Habit.
0: The thing I love about Bad Habit is it has even more of what comes to me as like a US feel at the time than In and Out. It's almost like the match between you and Defected was even more perfect for Bad Habit. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, if I were to, even to this day, if I play my last record, it's Bad Habit, not In and Out of My okay. Life.
0: Okay, that's interesting to know. I had that lined up as a question towards the end. That
1: says it all, right? Yeah, no, and and as a, as a personal record of mine, it means a lot more to me than In and Out of My Life it's it's got the whole thing for me you know the the i don't know what it is i suppose it's just um, the synergy of of the sample and the vocal um compared to you know of course in and out my life is always going to be the one that you know gave me the springboard but um bad habit was a record that was made after drinking two or three bottles of chardonnay um just My studio and uh, really, really going for it. Whereas, um, in and out of my life, was a bit more kind of like, oh, I think this is cool. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly it all happened. Yeah. Bad habit was no. And I was, I remember jamming to it on my own for ages.
0: Am I right in saying that your kind of engineering and production techniques had moved forward because. I really think that started to have your definitive sound of how you kind of put a record together, if you don't mind me saying.
1: Absolutely. You you probably pinpointed it. That's probably part of why it means more to me because I 100% made it myself. Although in and out of my life, I kind of oversaw it. And But the, some of the effects and stuff, a friend of mine, Neil from Fluid Ounce Productions, he was doing some of the effects on an MS-20 and, and maybe a Moog or something like that. They, he, he was sort of, indulging himself with some of the effects on the In and Out My Life record. By bad habit, I'd got to learn the kit entirely. Well, enough to be able to make my own record. So there was no one else's input on that at all.
0: Cool. And that's the same studio setup?
1: Well, no, I think by that time I might have just moved to a Mac. Early, early Logic, eMagic days.
0: Mm, eMagic, yeah, I was going to say. And uh, the the Atari was Notator, wasn't it? Is that right? Or? I was on Cubase on the Atari. Oh, you're on Cubase. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah, it might have been literally, if, I'm, if my memory's correct, it was just the time that um, I left the the Atari and went to a Mac. Early Mac. Cool. But it was early Logic, yeah. And I, I, I suppose that's the key. Yeah, I was, I was able to do it. 100% from scratch on my own it's not to say I don't feel that I did in and out of my life on my own but in terms of programming certain stuff
0: yeah you had full 100% creative control yeah. on, on the output and how you wanted to process samples and yeah. and all that kind of stuff
1: yeah and, and just happy mistakes on bad habit you know happen for sure okay some of the feels and stuff that you might have heard might have been me scrolling down and it hitting a different snare than should have been and you know, it uh, that would I mean, ATFC is all about happy mistakes. Seriously,
0: <laughs> I think everyone's production career to a degree is like, Oh, okay, <laughs> I'll go with yeah, that.
1: Yeah, the things I'm happiest with records are often happy uh, mistakes, you know, where I, I, I didn't actually intend for that to happen, but you know what, that's made it so much better. I,
0: I It's really appreciated that you say things like that as well, because a lot of the younger producers that listen to the podcast, I think sometimes people think because of the way we are with modern DAWs and stuff that everything has to be so perfect and it kind of doesn't look
1: we're not all geniuses and that we can think a sound in our head and go oh yes I want that to sound like that whatever Uh, what we do know is when we hear something that we like and i'm uh, i'm a big fan of just chucking anything into the mix and and uh, and waiting for something magic to happen that you would never expect and then pressing stop of course you know go yeah. no that's that's the thing and i think harry R- romero has said something similar on one of his future um what was that, his fader pro things where you literally just put um, the Logic uh, chord trigger or something on the top of a channel and that can throw up all sorts of magic, you know? I mean, it, it, yeah. you just put a simple snare onto a onto a channel and then put the chord trigger on it and then it just it, it throws all sorts of ideas out. And I think there's, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Happy Mistakes, man. I mean, it's, it's um, yeah, I'm, I'm Mr. Scroll.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it bad habit, did it come together as quickly as in and out My Life or uh, was there more extended time because of the the top line and things like that or did it all, both records flow easily?
1: Well having had In-N-Out My Life and the, the financial gain that came from that, I built my own little studio up in the rooftop where, um, above my mum in Kingston and then we got Lisa Millett over and I think she may have done the lab music is my way of life just prior to that or where we got the best of the london musicians in to record for that and then i got her back in to do this record i was doing called bad habit because i'd gone around simon dunmore's house and started trawling through his records and i'd already had the the Horn Loop from Shaka Khan. And I was just looking for an idea for the top line. Mm. Anyway, I came home with a few records from Simons and one of them was um, Jenny Burton, "I um, Bad Habits. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe Lisa can do this. So, And um, funnily enough, Lisa will say to this day um, she wishes I'd never got her to revocal that because it was far too fast for her. It was either that or Sleep Talk. Anyway, okay. Um, sh- yeah, we recorded Bad Habit and uh, it was probably about the same time scale as in and out of my life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a couple of weeks, maybe max, maximum. And uh, again, I went to Simon and said, you know, do you fancy this? I think he pretty much said on the spot, yeah. This And this was just before a Miami conference. Although it wasn't officially signed to defected, they quickly pressed up a few uh, test pressings. I was
0: going to say, I do distinctly remember. I think it's just a black and white, um, isn't it? I'm pretty sure I've got one here knocking about. But yeah, they were just super limited for WMC. I'd completely forgotten that. And then you said it. And I went, yeah, I'm pretty sure <laughs> I do
1: remember it. What happened? We went to um, went to WMC... The place to go was the Magic Sessions with Louis Vega, Kenny Carpenter, Tony Humphreys and Kenny Dope, maybe, or someone else. But anyway, they they played four times in a row.
0: Wow, four in a row! Brilliant.
1: Oh, yeah, literally the well, the first time, whoever it was, maybe Louis, I thought, oh, that's amazing jumping up and down on the dance floor second time Kenny Carpenter played it well that's kind of weird but that's great and it's amazing time Tony Humphreys played it oh well this is getting a bit too much now and then um, (laughs) uh, maybe Louis Vega came on at the end or someone anyway Louis Vega no that's it there was Louis Vega Tony Humphreys and Kenny Carpenter one of those and Louis Vega played it at the end and then pulled the record back pulled the needle back and played it for a fourth time From its entirety. and I just I lost the plot, and I had to go out onto Miami Beach and cry to my girlfriend and say, "Oh, bless you." But that's the moment, isn't it? You're
0: kind of like, "Holy!"
1: Yeah, because it was just like it became all too much of a. It just it, it was just all too much. Everyone who's anyone at this particular party in Miami, and having your record played for a fourth time, having had Louis Vega. Rewind it essentially,
0: yeah. Uh, it doesn't get much better than that, does it really? Yeah,
1: that's it. And I just broke down, I just had to go, I had to leave the club and go and cry on Miami Beach. That was it. wow,
0: <laughs> crazy! And then, and then, us guys back in the UK are hearing of the biggest records of the
1: conference, and it is <laughs> smack bang up there, isn't it? Yeah, well, immediately I got back and I was interviewed by Bob and Steve, and um, uh, maybe um, Brandon and Alex, who were on Kiss FM, Kiss, Kiss FM at the time, and whoever, mm. whoever else. Um, and it was all about you know the biggest records in Miami, and, and for sure, Bad Habit was up there. When 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 Miami records made a difference. You yes, know?
0: yeah, very much so.
1: It was a kind of peak time. It was kind of peak. It, there had been previous. There was a, probably a golden period of five years where Miami records really. Really, yeah, it's one that stood out, you know.
0: It, as, as a DJ, that's all you looked at was what was bigger at, at conference. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously, your records and your Mojo Ladies and Spiller Groove Jet, they, yeah. they all came from WMC. And it, the DJs would then just scrabble to desperately try and get hold of a copy. Yeah, you know?
1: I know it's crazy looking back on it how, how we mm. used to fight over actual music, whereas now, yeah. of course, it's open to everyone. But, um, yeah, yeah, it was, um, and then, of course, the whirlwind started again, you know, Ridney. I mean, it's um, it, I, it's almost like I wasn't pre- prepared for it a second time round. Really?
0: Even the second time, it was it was still like, wow.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I had to go searching for a Laura again, and I had no um, idea that it was going to happen again. I, I think it was a completely different style record. Yeah, I was kind of like, oh, really taken, taken aback a second time when it was... Even making more of a, a wave than the first time round. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a shock. Am I right in saying, you know, for
0: you as a DJ, the bookings went crazy. You know, the demand was was all over the place for you to come and, and play shows.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I was, um, I was starting to play all over the place. Remember, at that point, America was not a market. Yes. And even Australia wasn't. A market at that time so really we had like europe yeah so for sure i was going all over europe going to berlin amsterdam england of course all over england mm. didn't we didn't have the world at our disposal like people do now and certainly there was no touring market festivals weren't even really a thing back then yeah uh yeah as much as we could there was a lot of demand we will be hopping on the um, on the European British Airways flights as much as you can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It wasn't the, it wasn't the big worldwide demand that there is now
0: Mm. And fast forwarding all these years and looking back at those records because I know you've had an absolutely amazing career as a producer and still super active now, how do these records sit in your catalogue how do you feel about them do you still play them out or
1: Yeah I mean there was many years that I didn't, Um, not for any other reason that I just well for many years for many years wrongly I think I, I regarded myself more as a DJ than a producer, and I would always DJ in the way that I wanted to DJ. So I would play the record that was right at the right time, but I would always forget that I should actually play Bad Habit and In and Out My Life and Sleep Talk or whatever, my mm. records as a producer. Wrongly, I would I would miss those out, and I would often get promoters coming up to say, you know, you should have played Bad Habit and, the, and I am like, you know, but I didn't want to play Bad Habit. I wanted to play the new one by Junior Jack. I wanted to play yeah, the new yeah. one by yeah. whoever. I was kind of stuck in this state where I was torn between well, I, I felt as a DJ, I, I was a DJ basically and I should play what I want as a DJ, not be thinking about what I should be playing as a DJ producer. And f- it, the, the penny finally dropped about three or four years ago.
0: <laughs> really? Yeah. So you play a lot more of your of your own stuff now. And and would you dig and play the older stuff or is it, you know, how because you've got so many records you can pick yeah, from. Yeah, no,
1: mate, mate, there's been many times recently where I've literally just played all my, I feel like Todd Terry, I'm playing, Playing all my own records and it's nice you know I'm I'm of an I'm of an age now where I can be proud of my absolutely and you know I think back then I was probably a bit naive and you know kids are like. I mean they just want to play other people's they don't want to they don't want to listen to their own stuff. I suppose they just want to I, I wanted to play other people's stuff I didn't want to play my own stuff although I absolutely should have been playing my own stuff and I, I get it you know I'm gonna I, I understand it's a bit like on a very 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 minor scale. It's like Madonna turning up to Wembley Arena and not playing Material Girl or something. People are nuts. I I get it now, and I always play Bad Abbot, um, or at least every other three records is probably my own record but I enjoy it now I didn't used to enjoy it I didn't, you know, I didn't used to enjoy hearing my own productions out I would always be picking faults in them I would always find that they didn't sound right against other people's records but now I'm quite happy I'm quite happy in my own
0: you, Do you know what that was the question I was going to ask you is when you listen back now do, you know, are you comfortable with, with the production You know, how does it feel playing, playing them out
1: Yeah, no, you know, I've learned a lot over the past um, few years about production technique and and now I've even gone back, I've just gone back to working off my laptop and I'm in a makeshift.
0: You told me this like a week or so ago, which I just think is amazing. I think that's incredible.
1: I've really become a bit of a... uh, Evangelist about you know it's not about the kit you have. It really is about the, the way your ears are tuned to the kit you have, whatever you have, whether it's a laptop or a pair of kitchen speakers or, or whatever. And transferring that knowledge through your brain to how it sounds in a club, you can adapt. And um, I'm considering. Getting all getting rid of all my studio stuff and just working back on a laptop now because I've made my last god six or seven records on a laptop
0: right listen up people who, who are subscribed you know you don't need all of the kit in the world if, you, if you're very very good at, at, at what little you have there's no reason why you can't come out with some with some great production you know
1: I, w- I was I was toying with buying some fancy you know speakers and that and mm. very close. You know, I just turned around a couple of weeks ago and thought, well, I really don't... Maybe I just don't need them. Maybe I'm just doing it for, for the sake of it. I, 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 I'm I literally just making records off the floor on my laptop now. And it's all about yeah. your ears. It's all about... You have to have a good set of ears for sure. Um, and to be able to A, B stuff and, you know, make sure... Other people can test stuff for you and um, get other people's yeah. opinions, for sure. But, um, yeah, no, I'm I'm, uh, I'm going to be downscaling, I think. Do you mind me asking,
0: like, from one producer to another, do you think it makes it more fun again to just be rocking it off the laptop? And if you are travelling and you hear something and you've got an idea, you're not kind of restricted to a room with, you know, certain kit, you can just go, do you know what, I'm just going to do it here, here and now.
1: Absolutely. Um, I... I used to be quite restricted where I had to be back in the studio to do certain things or or to be able to bounce this or bounce that. But, um, but now, everything in the box, you know, given a good um, massive HD, five mm. gigabytes worth of, Hard drive or whatever you can do it you can do anything on the move, and as long as you've got a good pair of headphone speakers, don't blast them too loud, don't buggy your ear, don't bugger your ears in the process um, yeah. and take regular rests, take your earphones off ne- regularly, um stand back, have a walk around the room, go into the kitchen, keep the because look let's face it, most people listen and i I caught my daughter who's thirteen. I'm constantly telling her what are you doing listening to that song on your, on your iPhone put it through mm. I bought her a new Sonos system in her bedroom and yet she's listening to to something on a on her iPhone I'm saying look don't listen to it through the phone but most people do listen <laughs> to it through listen to their songs through listen to their music through a laptop or a, yeah. or a phone or a cheap pair of speakers or whatever so yeah I mean just move around take your headphones off and eventually, you'll get an equilibrium where you will know instinctively what's right and what's wrong. And as long as you follow some production principles in terms of EQing and and getting rid of some horrible bottom end and making yeah. sure things aren't too harsh, then, yeah, I've spent the last year or so just, um, you know, making sure that my principles are correct. Some basic principles you know Mm. like I say um, EQ principles and the rest of it is all about your sound choice and then from there levels if you you know you can um, for sure farm things out to other people and, and as long as you don't get any like glaring reports going, oh my God, I can't believe you put the vocal that high, then then you're pretty much good to go. And look, people have got very short memories. They'll move on to the next record.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is, that's some excellent wisdom there. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, my man. Uh, um, pleasure. So, Musically, I don't think you've ever stopped being active, if I'm honest. I mean, more recently, huge records on Armada, your productions everywhere. What is geared up for 2019?
1: What's going down? Well, uh, I've just got a new collab, loads of collaborations actually. Collaboration with Mogwai possibly with mark knight as well and another david penn collaboration with harry Choo. harry romero cube guys a collaboration on the way i've basically got um, about another three singles with armada piped up in the pipeline for um, the rest of the year including an an artist album
0: yes there you go that's good is that an exclusive bit of news or
1: is it um... yeah it is I'm still waiting I'm exclusive in the fact that I still don't really know how it's going to pan out but um, I'm still trying to figure out or we're all trying to figure out whether it's going to be like an album in the true sense of the word or whether it's just going to be like a mixed compilation or or whatever
0: yeah love it love it so if people want to go and find you on the internet what's your preferred place for them to go find you i don't
1: know i suppose spotify isn't
0: it yeah you're the second person who said spotify
1: and i tend to agree just go and listen yeah you can get everything there and um i mean you can go and see atfc.com but i haven't updated that for a while i should do it (laughs) just
0: stay on spotify i put it all in a playlist and play it over and over that's cool well atfc thank you so much for joining me on this episode um it's been brilliant to get an insight into the records and how you put it all together and
1: yeah thank you for your time my pleasure Ridney and I hope it was uh, insightful
0: (laughs) Secrets of a Dance Hit with Ridney huge thank you once again to Aiden for joining me live and direct from Spain don't forget as I said at the top of the show we are at Brighton Music Conference this week uh, Wednesday to Friday Uh, come say hi of course don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you're enjoying it leave us a review let us know what you think as always questions suggestions everything else I am paul at ridney.com on the email Secrets of a Dance Hit has been presented by myself Ridney produced by Carl Hannigan and we will be back in two weeks time with another show and hopefully hopefully a whopper of a guest till then see ya